James, James, wake up. We have a class six code yellow podcast emergency code yellow. Uh, You made that up. Seriously, Santa's being delayed thanks to intertime routing software on his new sleigh. It's just malfunctioning. I told those elves modernizing wouldn't work, but that's beside the point. I also told them they should have not upgraded the Windows 10, but they didn't believe me, you know, and they, they were convinced a Mac OS was a good idea. Anyways, every cartoon podcaster is being drafted to deliver gifts to their region. Jeez, they even sent the message to us amateurs? What are we waiting for? This is our chance to prove we can hang with the What a Cartoon podcast, guys. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome to the Pemmy and James kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And we're stuck in five feet of snow. I can't feel my feet. Somehow, in our desperate effort to save Christmas, or at least the chunk of it in our region, we drove into one of the worst snowstorms we've ever seen. We got a real snow job here, guys. And we're not talking the 1983 G.I. Joe member. And we're not talking about the version that we can't talk about because that would be naughty. And we're supposed to be nice today. Yeah. Hey, you think if I, like, rub your nose enough, it might shine and help us get through the snowstorm? How does it even work, anyways? Urge to kill rising. Rising. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe some other ideas. Fading. Fading. Rising! Fading. Still, while we're trapped in the van, we've got our recording equipment here, so we may as well talk to you about one of what I like to call the festive four. The four most iconic holiday specials you know these are the ones that have just lasted since their debuts in the 1960s there's frosty the snowman how the grinch stole christmas a charlie brown christmas and today's subject rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and i have to say that these festive four have gone to the point where they're not played once a year they're played multiple times a year sometimes on multiple channels even Something that definitely applies to Rudolph, as currently you can find it on both CBS and Freeform. I don't even know if I get Freeform. If you don't know, that's what used to be ABC Family Channel. Oh, that's right! That's right. So yeah, I I should have it, yeah. Which was previously Fox Family Channel, and then was previously just the Family Channel, and then was previously a Christian network. (laughs) Technically still is, if you count the 700 Club's contract, but that's beside the point. I like like the Legend of Prince Valiant one that was on there. True, true. So, the Rudolph story begins with just that. The story. In book format, in 1939, by Robert L. May, for the Montgomery Ward Company. May drew from his real-life experiences of being ostracized, his daughter's love of reindeers, 
and a particularly foggy day in Chicago to create the character for Montgomery Ward's annual Christmas coloring book giveaway. That's a heck of a combination. I also didn't even know it had that much to it to begin with. I thought it was like started as a song. To be sure, the song is much more well-known than the book, which only hit mass production via Maxton Books in 1947 and became popular to the point that the following year, Max Fleischer created a cartoon for the Jam Handy Company, which I know best from Riff Tracks. I need you tonight. Whoa! Woe indeed, Kevin. Woe indeed. Woe ho ho, even. Uh, well, Santa, um, might want to talk to Mrs. Claus a bit more. So following that, in 1949, Robert May's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, made a song out of the story, and Gene Autry's recording of the song became a number one hit on the Billboard charts that year going on to sell 25 million records over its history. Sequel books, covers of the song, and more have all followed since. Personally, my favorite cover of the song is by The Temptations. I remember when the California Raisins sang it. Yep, we'll be discussing that a little later on. The original plan, actually, was to discuss that this episode, but we came to one realization that uh, made us change our plans a little bit. This special's an hour long! Yeah, I don't remember it being this long. I think the versions I saw on on the that I remember seeing as a kid had some of these songs cut out or something. I remember it just being like 30 minutes. There have been myriad edits to this special, but we are putting the sleigh in front of the reindeer, as it were. By the time Rankin Bass got the rights to turn it into a television special in 1964, Rudolph was a fairly well-known quantity. But in getting those rights... The team at Rankin Bass, including writer Romeo Muller, lacked something. A copy of the original book. Don't. Hence, the single most iconic portrayal of Rudolph in visual media was strictly derived from the song, with original creations of Rankin Bass's own added in to flesh out their own story. Never you worry, though. May still gets credit for originating the story. He's not frozen out of things here. Unlike us. <laughs> So you're saying he didn't get iced, fortunately. Yeah. Royalties are a big deal. Just ask the voice cast. They barely, uh, they, they didn't get much of anything. Royalties are a big deal. Just watch the video I just released on YouTube about Miss Pac-Man. So as typical of Rankin Bass Productions, animation was outsourced to a trusted partner, Mom Studios, headed up by stop-motion animation pioneer Tadahito Mochinaga. Mochinaga's history in animation included some propaganda works for both Japan during World War II and China uh, later on after that, and he would effectively renounce this work, and he was determined to do stuff later in his career that would benefit children positively, rather than influence them in support of a war effort, for instance. What's interesting is most people don't even know that this was animated in Japan. Most people think this was a complete American production. I imagine the Rankin-Bass contract work was a heck of a bomb to his conscience by comparison. I will say they do pretty good work considering the budget they probably had and restrictions. Yeah. 
also worth mentioning that Mom Studio was a trusted partner was because the relationship between them and Rankin Bass began with 130 five-minute episodes of The New Adventures of Pinocchio for first-run syndication. I don't know if I have ever seen that show. I think I, I think I may have seen a couple episodes online before, but I'm not 100% sure. Mm. I mean, not online, but on syndicated television when I was a kid, but I'm not yeah. for sure. But in addition to this episode being the culmination of us looking at Rankin-Bass productions this year, this also ties back to our Spider-Man episode, because our voice cast is filled with folks we've discussed previously there, with Billy Mae Richards as Rudolph, Paul Souls as Hermie the Elf, and Paul Kligman as Donner and Comet. Heck, uh... Uh, what was the name of Rudolph's voice actress again? Billy May. Billy May was also in uh, Rankin Bass's uh, King Kong cartoon. It was uh, Billy Bond. Okay. Because uh, when I was watching the rewatching this, I was like, God, Rudolph sounds really familiar. And I like looked it up. And I was like, Oh, right, that would be it. Why well, I've watched the King Kong cartoon before recently. The most famous voice in the special, though, belongs to Burl Ives, country singer and character actor who had won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for the 1958 film The Big Country. It's also worth mentioning some of these voice actors in this show we also seen in The Reluctant Dragon and Mr. Toad Show. Oh, cool, cool. Now, Ives' performances of both the Rudolph song and Have a Holly Jolly Christmas have become standards of the season, as inescapable as Mariah Carey and Polar Bears drinking cola. Ah, Coca-Cola. Thank you. We should also mention Canadian character actor Larry D. Mann as the eccentric prospector Yukon Cornelius. Because what a tour de force performance. The best character in the, sh- in the whole special, in my opinion. You'll, you won't get too much argument from me, but I can think of a few runners-up. Actually, I was going to say something that amused me, but I'm going to wait until we get to his appearance. Well, we're not going to wait too much longer, because that's, that's all the pre-production notes I've got. Let's dive into the show. And try not to dive into the snow any more than we already have. No. We open our special with dramatic spinning newspaper headlines and black and white stock footage all impressing upon us the exact same thing. Snow. Yeah, seemingly it's snowing so bad that Christmas might be cancelled, which is kind of mind-boggling when you think about it, considering, like, you know... There's at least snowstorms somewhere every year. When we switch to color, we get Sam the Snowman relating he'll never forget that storm being so bad that, yes, indeed, it almost canceled Christmas. He introduces himself and shows us around Christmastown, a.k.a. the North Pole, where the Claus family resides in the first castle on the left. The only castle on the left, in fact. And boy, this version of Santa is a Skinny fellow. Yeah, I, I'm starting to. I, I'm starting to wonder about Mrs. Claus here. She's pretty obsessed with getting him fat. I mean, that's that's a thing on the internet, you know. <laughs> yeah, she does have a point about kids expecting a fat, jolly Santa, but it turns out there's a reason he's not eating. He's so busy and stressed with Christmas just around the corner. I also, I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot of moments in this. Special where I'm just like, Santa's kind of a jerk. <laughs> Snowman Sam reassures us that this is the usual routine, 
and he's glad this year won't be like the aforementioned storm, and says Rudolph got them out of a real pinch. Who is Rudolph? Well, he'll tell you. Now, here comes the opening verse of the classic song. Hey, can I ask a question? Sure. Do you think, do you think Mrs. Claus wants Santa to be fat just because of the kids or because of herself? I don't know. I, I truly don't know. All right. Enough awkward questions. Let's get to the... Yeah. <laughs> Sam doesn't sing the whole song just yet. Instead, we get a instrumental medley of the special's songs over the opening credits. The story proper oh. begins after the first commercial break. Does that mean this was a cold opening? Oh, probably, actually. <laughs> Anyhow, we find Donner becoming a father, Donner being the lead reindeer, and he and his wife named the kid Rudolph. And from birth, Rudolph has his trademark nose that might as well have been courtesy of General Electric. Well, chalk that up to a research failure. Future James here with an update. It turns out General Electric was the sponsor of the original broadcasts of this special. And they just so happened to have, in 1964, a new line of Christmas lights that strongly resembled the light on Rudolph's nose. If only I knew both then. Oh well, that's what editing's for. And Donner is not too happy about that. Yeah, the nose doesn't just glow. It also sounds like an out-of-tune recorder. And Pemmy, I'm torn if this is done to act as a cue for the animators for when to make his nose glow, or if this is a signal to folks with black and white TVs. I don't know, but I will say there's some points where that nose sound effect is a little ear-piercing. <laughs> Could you imagine hearing that, like, every day? <laughs> yeah. So, the, the parents debate what to do as Santa comes in to meet the kid, and Santa's concerned about it keeping him off the reindeer team. Santa sings the first proper song of the special for emphasis, describing himself as the king of jingling. Yeah, he also talks about how people like his jingle bells. Wait a second. <laughs> Is this what Mrs. Claus is trying to protect? Mmm. Anyways. The song is merry, but it does nothing to explain why Rudolph's nose is an impediment. Yeah, not at all. And daughter's like, oh, I'm sure he'll grow out of it. And Santa's like, he better. It's like, it's like what the heck, guys? It's just the nose. Donner decides to conceal the glow, starting with just some dirt on the nose. But that doesn't stay on very well. No, Rudolph proves to be smart as he can say, like, he identifies Santa instantaneously and says his name. Yeah, right from birth. Right out of the womb. Well, for the first year, the Donners did a pretty fair job of hiding Rudolph's nonconformity. Wow, we just got political up in here. <laughs> yeah, I kind of bet whatever he said that I kind of cringed a little bit. <laughs> Like, uh. So Donner teaches his son about reindeer stuff, especially hiding from the abdominal, the astronomical, the uh, the boy in a bubble. <coughs> Thanks. The abominable snowman. Yeah, or snow monster in this case. Oh, uh, yes. Our first sight of old Abby here is portrayed as merely a massive set of hairy legs, and he's alleged to hate everything to do with Christmas. Because of course he does. It's a Christmas special. 
You gotta oh, have yeah. at least one person like that. Heck, some Christmas specials are completely surrounded around the person who hates Christmas. I mean, bah humbug. <laughs> and at the same time, we transition over to our B-plot as we watch the Santa's elves making toys in preparation for Christmas Eve. And we're introduced to the misfit of that bunch, Hermie. Voiced by Spider-Man. Spider-Man. He can do what a spider can, except seemingly not make toys very well. <laughs> With tons of backlogged work, he has to admit to a very flummoxed foreman elf that he's unhappy with his work and doesn't like making toys. Very flummoxed uh, foreman elf that's giving me some mad flashbacks of uh, or King Herman from freaking um, Reluctant Dragon. Yeah, I can hear that. <laughs> and as the other elves prattle on about this revelation, the foreman asks what Hermie wants to do. And he wants to be a dentist. My pop culture brain keeps wanting to start singing that one song from Little Shop of Horrors, but that doesn't quite fit here. I don't know um, the ending, but I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> well, Hermie reasons they need one up there, and he and loves the idea of dentistry in general. But the foreman seems to have his entire species pigeonholed as toy makers, and won't even let Hermie have a have the ten minute break. Not just that, but I mean, Hermes is like the only one of the elves that looks remotely different at all in that group. It's like, uh, he's the only one with like blonde hair <laughs> and and irises. Now, I'd say Hermes should complain to his union head, but knowing this guy's luck, it's probably the same bossy foreman. Via yeah. a quick little ditty, Hermes expresses how much he rues his job. And then says he's, he quits, except he doesn't. Yeah. Probably doesn't. I, if And going to the big boss, which is probably Santa, wouldn't help either, because Santa doesn't feel seem like he's wants anything of to do with anything in this freaking movie or special. By now, Rudolph is growing up and is starting to resist covering his nose. And Donner is bent on not letting anything stand in the way of Rudolph make the sleigh team. It gives him this weird... I should not say the first thing that popped in my head. It's a, it's a false nose. The thing that popped in my head was nose condom. Oh, dear. Rudolph gets the next verse of the song Hermes started, sad about not fitting in. You know, I do have to say that is some... I mean, I know things change at the end, but to start this film off by saying that not conforming to nor the norm is makes you a misfit is kind of... Ow. <laughs> yeah. You can tell this predates the Cultural Revolution of the late 60s. This is communism, people. This is communism, comrade. So the year after that, in April, it's time for Santa to inspect the fawns as they meet each other for the first time. A timid Rudolph is encouraged to meet the other fawns by Donner, and he does meet one named Fireball. There's a joke here, I just know it. Uh, was he Dasher's son? I mean, Dasher may have... Dr <laughs> Sorry. See, Dasher's son, he may have been named after the what he drank before his uh, conception. Hmm. Fireball's a good liquor, by the way. Fireball asks Rudolph to join him at the reindeer game, saying it's a good way to show off in front of the does. Now, uh -oh. a quick internet search tells me male reindeer reach maturity at six years old. This Fireball kid is rushing things! 
Hey, what's wrong? He just wants to be rolling in the does. Oh. Don't! <laughs> Don't! Elsewhere, Santa's elves sing him a song. And suddenly, the head elf's voice changes right in the middle of the scene. Yeah, I noticed that too. I Is this like... Yeah, what was up with that? But don't just take our word for it. All out for elf practice! Well, let's get this over with. I have to go down and look over the new deer. Okay, Santa. Now let's try out the new elf song I wrote. And remember, it's for Santa. Santa is utterly impatient with the whole thing. But Mrs. Claus adores the song. Mrs. Claus seems to be like, she's like, it's perfect. Just keep it the way it is. It's like, Mrs. Claus seems to be the only person that's keeping things running. We get some basic sight gags during the the performance. And it's charming enough. But the point actually occurs at the end when Santa says it needs work and huffs off. Mrs. Claus, like Pemmy said, says it's perfect, but the foreman elf says it was terrible and scolds the tenors. I just, before we get further into that, I just want to mention that uh, I, I love that one of the sight gags was literally like one of the elves just clocks another one with a freaking toy. <laughs> like, knocks him the F out. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's some decent gag work. I mean, stop motion animation doesn't lend itself to the extreme slapstick of a Looney Tunes or similar cartoon, so they make what they can with what they got. It's some pretty good ones. The cutting the uh, feather was cute, and throwing the one elf into the bag was cute. Turns out the tennis problem was that Hermie skipped the performance. Not winning any awards there, Hermie. Don't you think they would have no the foreman would have noticed him missing considering he's the only elf with the only male elf with actual hair and irises? Y- you'd think. Well, the tall elf had hair too, but that was like the only other one I can think of. Yeah. Which the tall elf looks like he's based on somebody or that or something cuz mm. he just looks stands out from like everybody. Maybe Alan Sherman? He was popular at the time. Maybe. Also, maybe the head, head foreman elf was just too just too nervous about being in front of Santa, which is why his voice changed and he didn't notice Hermie. <laughs> Either way, Hermie was back in the workshop fixing Doll's teeth. Hey, that's a good attention to detail, in my opinion. Yeah, but the foreman insists that while they have dolls that run feathers, wet themselves, and do all these other things, they don't need dolls that chew. Boy! I would not hire this guy as a toy executive. Well, you know, executives are the ones that don't have the imagination. Yeah. Hermie just thought this would help him fit in, but the foreman yells that he'll never fit in and should stick to wiggling ears and laughing warmly and other important stuff like that. Wow. It's like yelling at a reluctant dragon. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, poor Hermie, though. I, I feel bad for him in this. I can also relate, but... Woof. Yeah, Hermie really does seem to quit here, opening a window and saying he's on his own now. He's done with this stuff. Meanwhile, back at the reindeer games, Fireball spots some does, giggling and generally being stereotypical girls. 
and one with a bow winks at Rudolph. Before contact can be made, Coach Comet arrives to start organizing the games and wants to be their pal while making bucks out of them. Bucks. Big bucks. Big bucks. Big bucks. Big bucks. Big bucks. No whammies! Stop! So the first game is Takeoff. Whoa! Oh, 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 they're just trying to pick up speed and jump into the wind. That That's different. Yes. <laughs> this is all to prepare for the Slay's takeoff sequence, hence the name. Wow, James, get your mind out of the gutter. Well, you know, some of that, without context, some of that does sound kind of awkward, let's be honest. It's like, I want to be your friend and make bucks out of you. It's just like, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. <laughs> so Dasher's son stumbles, but Comet is still encouraging. And as these proceed, Fireball encourages Rudolph to go talk to the Doe. She clumsily does and scores a lot of good points to his uh, advantage. Yeah. She notices something wrong with his nose, though, as it starts to shine through the covering. Rudolph gets a little defensive, but the Doe, who eventually introduces herself as Clarice, doesn't mind. Hello, Clarice. <laughs> we should stop meeting like this. People will assume we're in love. <laughs> and that's as far as I'm taking that running gag. Do we need it to be more awkward than Comet, <laughs> Comet's earlier comment? <laughs> Rudolph is about to suggest a date of some kind when Comet calls him for his turn. Rudolph barely asks to walk her home, though, which she accepts. Good job, kid. Nice courage. Yeah. It, it, I, I like how awkward and endearing this whole scene is. It's actually really cute. Clarice, by the way, is performed by Janet Orenstein, whose film and television acting career wasn't terribly long, and she wouldn't reprise the role in the sequels. Bummer. Yeah. But, boy, how he does. She says that Rudolph's cute, and boy, does he get happy. Yeah, for the briefest of moments, Rudolph's the toast of the town as his reaction to being called cute is leaping for joy right off screen, effectively. Yep, he he proved to be quite the uh, quite the reindeer. He's doing really good. Everybody's impressed. Even Santa. Like, yeah, even Santa's like, oh, nice, Donner. Your son is great. But, as Rudy and Fireball play and celebrate, the false nose falls off. And instantly, Fireball's like, get the heck away from me, and freaks out. And so does everybody else. Well, almost everybody else. Yeah. The ones who aren't freaking out are laughing and, yes, calling him names. You, you know what I think is the crappiest part of this scene? Like, Senna just tells daughters, like, I'm... I'm disappointed in you, Donner. And I'm like, what the heck did he do? I know. It's like, it's like, what the heck did Donner do? I mean, if Santa was upset with him for, you know, covering his nose, I, I could understand that, but that doesn't seem to be the context. No kidding. He's just like, I'm disappointed in you for having a son like that. It's like, I don't think he can control that, Santa. A dejected Rudolph walks off, but Clarice chases after to try and comfort him. 
She likes the bad boys. She likes the boys that are different. As a matter of fact, she likes the real nose much better than the fake one, making her the most open-minded and kindest character we've seen so far. Which probably means she's an outcast, too, by the logic of this show. (laughs) She even sings a song to try and encourage him, with some local fauna joining in for the backup vocals. And it seems to work. Yeah, it sure boosts up Rudolph's mood. Until her father comes along and spoils the moment. Yep. Her father's like, I don't want my girl being around a red-nosed reindeer. Jeez, maybe Rudolph the Red is a little too on the nose. (laughs) So Rudolph, defeated, sits in a snowbank. And out pops Hermie! I don't know what he was doing in that snowbank, but (laughs) alright. Hermie's not letting anything get in his way right now because he's independent. And Rudolph decides he is too. And Harvey suggests they be independent together. Uh, Fine. Codependent? (laughs) There you go. No, no, that's not right either. Well, either way, neither of them mind their respective perceived faults. Besides, you can't talk about independence right now. It's it's coming up to be Christmas time, not Independence Day. (laughs) They even sing a song about being misfits which is in fact the full version of the song they sang verses of earlier. They are misfits and nitwits. Now this reprise of the song would be replaced in some later broadcasts with a shorter tune called Fame and Fortune from about 1965 to 1992 to accommodate the time needed for a revised ending, which we'll discuss when we cross that rickety log. Nice uh, phrasing, considering yeah. they actually do that. <laughs> I was also going to say, Hermie also shows his violent side as he makes a snowman based on the foreman elf and then punches it directly in the face. Then in 1993, the We're a Couple of Misfits song would be restored to the special. These days, Fame and Fortune principally exists as a DVD bonus feature. And the reality of the cold, cold North Pole hits them in the face right after the commercial break. Yep, it's a bit cold. And they've got a giant monster that's taking interest in them. Yeah, the light of Rudolph's nose attracts the attention of Abdullah the Butcher, (laughs) the abominable snow monster. Even poor Sam shudders at the thought. But somehow they get through the first night. And they meet up with the best character in the entire movie. Yukon Cornelius, the somewhat jumbled prospector with the booming voice and his sleigh pulled by assorted dog breeds. It is some random dog breeds, I must say. Like, there's a dachshund and a poodle and a collie and a... I think I spotted a bulldog? Uh, I think it's meant to be a St. Bernard, actually. Uh, There's like... I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it right now. It looks like there's a St. Bernard, a collie, a dachshund... A poodle and a uh, shoot. What is a what was Lady and Lady in the Tramp? Cocker Spaniel. Okay. I know my dog breeds. Also, I want to point out that somehow until now, I don't think I ever noticed that like Yukon Cornelius just has a freaking revolver <laughs> setting in his belt. <laughs> well, when you're a lonely man, hunt. 
searching for silver and gold, you kind of need to protect yourself from the elements somehow. It just looks hilariously out of place compared to everything else, and it's just right there in the front. Yeah. We got a touching song from Sam singing about Cornelius's two loves, silver and gold, specifically decorating the Christmas tree. I, I, I'm curious about his ability to look for silver and gold, though. Hits a random place with his pickaxe, then looks it, and then it's like, nothing. Anyhow, Cornelius offers the duo a lift, but can't get his dogs to mush. Well, mush is terrible. They want actual food. I, I was about to say, Pemmy, I thought you were going to have PTSD flashbacks. Oh. oh I said I that not, word. Oof. Trying to not think about that. Oof. Worst thing Filmation ever made is mush. Not to mention... Why does that cartoon even exist? Anyhow, Cornelius has to demonstrate to them what to do. I think the dogs are just trying to get the free ride. You know, can you blame them? I mean, one of those is a dog, so they've got stubby legs. I can't blame him for wanting to ditch. The abominable snow monster is still on their trail, though, and we get our first actual look at his massive chompers. That's some teeth. Yukon gets spooked, and a short chase ensues up to the bank of a cold lake. And Yukon shows his amazing pickaxe abilities by breaking off the piece of ice that they're standing on so that they can have an iceberg to travel away from said big bad monster. Yeah, the Bumble, as Yukon calls him, can't follow since it can't swim. Yeah, it sinks, according to him. So off they float into the northern lights with no clue where they're headed. Like a real adventurer. Yeah. Shame we don't have the Northern Lights down here in Texas while we wait to get rescued out of this. Let's see. Aurora Borealis. It is not, in fact, shining down in Dallas. <laughs> wait. <laughs> I just got this terrible image of, like, Rudolph going, What the heck is that? Aurora Borealis. This time of night, this type of day, in this part of the world, yes. Can I see it? It's right there. Oh, sorry. While we get the sillies out of our system, we're going to take a short break. On the next Pemmy and James podcast... On December 21st of 1987, CBS debuted a pair of new Christmas specials featuring on-the-rise properties. One, Jim Davis's Garfield, the breakout comic strip star of the 80s. And two, Will Vinton's Claymation, whose characters were all over advertising of the era. Would these specials last? Or would they just be more flashes in the pan like Christmas Comes to Packland? Find out in two weeks. Welcome back. When we left off, our trio were headed off to who knows where, and Donner is realizing what his treatment of Rudolph has led to. Yep, he's feeling bad because his son has dang near disappeared. Sometimes that's what it takes for a bad parent to realize what they've done wrong. Fred, yeah. I, I still feel bad for I still feel bad for Donner after Santa. I mean, heck, what the heck, Santa? So Donner goes off alone. Mrs. Donner wants to follow, but 
he insists it's man's work. The 60s. Yep. So this doesn't dissuade Mrs. Donner, who goes off alongside Clarice. And boy, they're in for a challenge trying to find Rudolph because the fog, it's as thick as peanut butter. Don't you mean pea soup? You eat what you like, and I'll eat what I like! <laughs> that is great. That is a good response. I gotta remember that. <laughs> so they endure a rough landing on a nearby island where they spot a majestic castle and a flying winged lion. And also... A box. Before we get to that box, I do want to add that the flying effects we see in the special are actually really good for the technology available to them. Yeah, I kind of wonder how they did it. Probably wires, but still looks really good. Yeah. In their awe at the sight of the of the lion, Hermie stumbles right into a jack-in-the-box, uh, except not. Nope, he's a Charlie in the box. Yeah, this, the Century toy explains, no kid wants a Charlie. They want Jack. Yeah, well... Folks, look, the I... jokes just write themselves. Guess they don't know Jack, huh? I will say... Well, he's wrong, though. I mean... He says no one wants a Charlie in the box. I can think of something that people want even less. A Charlie horse. Oh! Don't tell the Sherry Lewis estate that. <laughs> so, this is the Island of Misfit Toys. One of the most memorable sequences and accompanying songs in the whole special for its imagination and wit. And a variety of crazy little dolls and toys. When I was a kid, I, I actually liked the polka dot uh, elephant a lot. Yeah, but there's also some questions that come up. And I don't simply mean, why don't they just fill the squirt gun with water and not jelly? Because, well, that just answers itself. I mean, what precisely is the matter with the scooter for Jimmy and the dolly for Sue? Uh, the doll's eyes are kind of off-centered, I think. I mean, even the spotted elephant isn't precisely wrong. It's frankly cute and fanciful. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted one of those. It occurred to me at this point, the creators of the special are more square than the wheels of that poor train. <laughs> that poor, poor train. <laughs> now, the matter of the dolly for Sue was a subject of speculation by fans of the show for years. And in the 2000s, Arthur Rankin Jr. would give two different reasons for her residency on the island, which are not mutually exclusive, I hasten to add. One, from a production standpoint, and was given in an interview to the Television Academy, was that the doll was a last-minute addition to the cast. The other explanation, story-wise, provided in a 2007 episode of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, he stated that the doll was, and I quote clinically depressed by being discarded by her owner. You know, I don't if that second part is canon then um fair. <laughs> I mean, that's what Toy Story's movies are kind of mentioned in it. Mhm. So since Rudolph and company see themselves as misfits too, they ask to stay a while. And Charlie directs them to King Moonracer, the previously seen winged lion who rules the island and gathers unwanted toys until they can find a home. And has a name that sounds like a Transformer. Mm-hmm. 
As he's holding court, the trio pay him a visit. But the king actually has a solid reason why they can't stay. Unlike playthings, a living creature cannot hide himself on an island. But perhaps, being misfits yourselves, you might help the toys here. He asks them to tell Santa of the island if and when they return to Christmas Town, and have him find homes for the toys, since a toy isn't fulfilled unless it's loved. Again, like Toy Story. <laughs> yeah, between this and the Dolly for Stew stuff, I wonder if Rankin Bass ever sued Pixar and John Lasseter. <laughs> I, uh, looking at the doll now, though, her eyes are off-centered, like one of them is lower than the other, so I guess that could be a reason why someone wouldn't want her. Rudolph agrees to pass on the the king's word, and in return, the king allows them to spend the night. In a very small room, I might add. Yeah. A room that's taken probably like 50% up by Yukon alone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the sort of room where you, it wouldn't be out of place to be uh, constantly asking for two hard-boiled eggs. Uh, Marx Brothers reference, for those um, of you who don't know. Go, go watch A Night at the Opera. Anyhow, it's that night that Rudolph realizes his nose is a liability to his friends. And despite them protesting that they're in it together, Rudolph sneaks off, believing it's for their benefit. And somehow goes off on another iceberg. How did he break it off without a pickaxe? I don't know. He says a wistful goodbye as he floats off on the ice flow. He's been a loner, a true teenager. Yeah, he spent these this time on the run from the snowman and slowly started to grow and mature, realizing that this was no way to live. So he 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 grew up seven years within the span of, what, six months? Yeah, wow. Heck of a growth spurt. <laughs> Either that or it's just plot convenience. Uh, probably the latter, but still. Yeah. Nice antlers, boy. So he returns to Christmas Town only to find more mockery. And worse, his parents have gone missing looking for him. Yep, and Santa's like, what the heck? We can't find... They've been gone for months. I haven't done crap, though, so... <laughs> I'll at least give Santa a little credit for not blaming Rudolph. Unlike Donner. <laughs> I'm not letting that go. That was still... That was terrible, Santa. <laughs> yeah. But without Donner, Santa might not have the power to get his sleigh going, and it's two days before Christmas Eve. So what? Rudolph vows to bring them back? But then the storm that Sam spoke of at the beginning hits town. Rudolph has something to prove. And he's proven it to Santa. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think the whole thing with Donner just hits me hard because I am a father. So it's just like, what the heck, man? Yeah. But like you alluded to, none of this deters Rudolph. And he knows where to go. The Snow Monster's Cave. I've got a valid question here. Yeah, this is a little contrived. How did all three of them get into this cave for months and not be eaten until almost now? Yeah, yeah. still, this is where they wound up. As the bumble has Clarice in his grasp, and Rudolph shouts for him to put her down. He does listen, so uh, at least he's polite. <laughs> Rudolph puts up a good fight in spite of the size difference. But a stalactite blow to the head knocks the kid out. 
And Rudolph dies, and that's the end. This is a lot sadder than I remember it being. Hammy, we talked about this. <laughs> Sorry. Fortunately for the reindeer, Sam Snowman is no ordinary narrator. He actually sent Hermia and Yukon out, who had just arrived in Christmastown. Or at least he says he did. We don't actually see that. True. But still... I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's been a reliable narrator. This is fair. So, Hermie and Yukon Cornelius hatch a plan. Hermie is going to impersonate a pig to lure the monster out. Squeal like a pig, boy. Squeal like a pig. Oh, dear. Admittedly, Yukon would probably know because he mentions he keeps restocking ham hocks earlier in the episode. So he probably knows from experience they attract the bumble. Yep. And he's right. Yep. Because Bumble's like, heck with these deers. I want some freaking pork. It's the other, other white meat. <laughs> and when the Bumble is in the right spot, Yukon ambushes him with a chunk of ice off the top of the cave, followed by an actual boulder. Wow. Yep. For a Christmas special, business is picking up. Well, you know, Yukon's a brave guy, so he just has to be bolder than usual sometimes. Hermie finishes the job by performing the most dangerous dental work of his fledgling career, removing the snow monster's teeth. He literally takes out every single one of his teeth in a matter of, like, what, a minute? <laughs> I don't want this kid to be my dentist. I'm going to just say that right now. Yeah. Hopefully he improved over time. It turns out, though, the Bumble still has some fight in him yet. So uh, you also want to mention he did that without anesthesia. So oh, yeah. No wonder the Bumble's still mad. Yeah. <laughs> but Yukon decides to beat the crap out of the, the Bumble with his bare fists. Yeah, and in their struggle, they fall off a cliff. Poor Yukon. He was the best. While they take time to mourn their friend... The reindeer and Hermie do return to Christmas Town, and there's a lot of apologizing to go around. As well there should be. Santa promises to find homes for the misfit toys. The head elf says Hermie can open a dentist's office, and we potentially get the real reason he didn't want Hermie practicing. Yeah. Well, you know, considering that the diet of elves tend to be a lot of uh, sugary treats, yeah, I can understand why they kind of don't want a dentist there, but also why they probably really need one. <laughs> most importantly, and most heartfelt, Donner gives a very sincere apology to his son. That, that actually, again, as a parent, heartwarming moment. And just then, Yukon reveals he survived. And he's brought the bumble with him. A reformed Bumble. A re-Bumble, I suppose. You know, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't think he's reformed as much as you literally took out all of his teeth and didn't beat the crud out of him. I think he's traumatized. Well, that's an unusual symptom of tra being traumatized, being able to accurately decorate Christmas trees. Well, pretty much he's just probably doing whatever he's told. <laughs> Though, uh... It's just like, don't hit me again, please. But uh, as for explanation of how they survived that drop, well, according to Yukon, Bumble's bounce. 
So let me get this straight. They sink, but they also bounce. That... Um... This is almost a now-wait-just-a-minute moment. <laughs> almost. Almost. Well, the levity doesn't stop the march of time, and Christmas Eve approaches, but the weather isn't getting any better. And Santa isn't getting any fatter. <laughs> yeah, although, looking at the food on that table, with its color that matches the table, which is a brownish-gray... Yeah, I, I can't say I blame him too much. Yeah. Still, Christmas will have to be cancelled. It's just too dangerous. And Santa goes to break the news to his staff, but he gets distracted by Rudolph's glowing nose. That's, like, near blinding him. And probably making him deaf from that sound, too. Yeah. And then, he gets an idea. Rudolph's light is just what he needs and Santa asks him to guide his sleigh. What I'm trying to say is, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It'd be an honor. Also, Santa, you really need to apologize to my dad. That was not cool. <laughs> but anyhow, hooray! Hooray! Steph Arm Movement Celebration! Woo! Donner claims he knew the nose would be useful all along. Presaging his voice actor's turn as J. Jonah Jameson in a very on-the-nose fashion. Bring me pictures of Rudolph! <laughs> and as for the pun, I regret nothing. <laughs> so now we have Sam Snowman singing Have a Holly Jolly Christmas, which of course has become a true standard of the season through Burl Ives' performance here. Also, Santa gets fat in a matter of, like, literal minutes. What the heck did Mrs. Claus give him? I bet he secretly snuck a pillow under his shirt. Probably. So last-minute preparations are made, and everybody's pitching in, even Yukon Cornelius and the Bumble, including celebrating the conclusion of the year's work. Yes, we made the Bumble like Christmas through trauma. <laughs> With the sleigh loaded up, their first destination is the Island of Misfit Toys, and off they go! And Yukon drops his pickaxe, takes a lick, and finds what he's been searching for, supposedly. Peppermint. Yes! He's rich! Wahoo! So are we saying Yukon Cornelius is responsible for all those restaurants that give me a million peppermints? Well, I can think of worse things for restaurants to give us. Me too, like the bill. <laughs> Our final scene sees Santa arrive at the Island of Misfit Toys, fulfilling the promise that Rudolph made on their behalf, and they're delivered via umbrellas as the credits roll. I hope they land in the right place. Yeah. Now, oh no! Oh no, this guy had his fireplace on! Oh no! Now this sequence was added to subsequent airings after the initial broadcast in place of the bit about the peppermint mine and a couple other things here and there like the shortening of the of the song sequence of we're a couple of misfits into fame and fortune because of fan demand apparently nbc the original broadcaster received so much fan mail from kids who 
wanted to actually see the Island of Misfit Toys get their deserved joyful ending. You know what? For once, the fans were right. I'll say. Although, admittedly, the original credits has become uh, a bit hard to track down, though I did find one YouTube video that shows it in black and white, and it features uh, an elf instead pulling out presents with the cast and crew's name on them. Oh, that's also cute. But the ending for the Misfit Toys is somehow fitting, because nine of the figures used in the making of this feature were given as gifts to the children of folks involved in the production. Cool. As such, they were so well-loved and played with, only two of them exist to this day, those two being restored versions of Kid Rudolph and Santa, which now reside at the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow, that's cool. I was just going to say, I hope they look in better condition than the animatronics I've seen for the original Ninja Turtle live-action movie and E.T. Jesus. If you want nightmare fuel, look that up sometime. Yeesh. Or what happened to Hoggle from Labyrinth. Oof. Arthur Rankin Jr. also claims to have one of the Rudolphs in the same 2007 interview that generated one of the stories for the, about the doll for Susie. Cool. Most of the, of the rest of the, of the dolls, though, were simply discarded, sadly, since there was no sense of what value they'd hold in the future back then. Sadly, it's a thing that's happened with a lot of productions. Yeah. Missing episodes of Doctor Who, missing just basic like recordings of various things. Mm-hmm. So Rudolph was a smash for NBC and Rankin Bass, who were off to the races creating more Animagic specials that would be reran for decades. Yeah, definitely got to say, despite all the stuff that Rankin-Bass made, the Christmas specials definitely seem to be their bread and butter. Mm -hmm. There would be sequels with Rudolph, there would be specials without, and there would even be specials for other holidays, including a very memorable Easter tale. Not to mention there would be ones for other Christmas songs, such as Frosty the Snowman. Although that wasn't one of the Animagic ones. Well, no, but it's still a Rankin-Bass Christmas special. Right. And it's probably going to be one of the going to be the one we look at next year if we don't decide to do the Grinch first, or Charlie Brown. Yeah. Good grief! And from its use in commercials for Aflac and Verizon to no less than three parodies on Mad TV, Rudolph's place in our culture has been assured for some time. Yeah. Even including theme park appearances every holiday season at Bush Gardens parks. That was the picture I sent you earlier. Nice. That actually looked really cool. Um, And despite the joke comments I made, I still think this movie is very, very, got a lot of charm. It's very good. It's got a lot of charm. And the stop motion is still pretty good, especially for a TV special. Yeah. As we stated earlier, CBS and Freeform Television are the current broadcasters of the special, with the Freeform version having less material cut from it due to you know, being on cable and slightly less beholden to advertisers. And I, if I recall right, I think uh, Universal DreamWorks currently owns this uh, special, if I remember right. Right. And of course, the best place for the uncut versions is on home media and a massive Rankin-Bass collection of all their holiday specials from the libraries of both Universal and Time Warner 
who got the other half of the Rankin Bass material, was just released this year. Nice. That's something I should grab at some point. Yeah, same here. Because I gotta admit, I haven't seen many of the sequels in a long time. I remember there's that terrible, there's two terrible Frosty the Snowman sequels that weren't made by Rankin Bass. Mm. And they're, yeah. <laughs> hey, wait, Pem. I think I hear someone coming. Could it be? Is that Santa? Wait, Chrissy? Is that you? Yeah, of course it's me. I got your text. I'm here oh. to get you out. What the hell did you do? We got some message about saving Christmas and drove into this snowstorm. So in other words, you you ticked off Jack Frost. Not directly. Oh, Lordy. Don't, don't you watch any of these specials? There's always some, like, angry, curmudgeon, like, evil winter spirit that's trying to stop Santa Claus. You avoid those. It's like the video games. You avoid them. Hang on, let me go well, get the fire truck. I'll be right back. All right. Thank you for coming, Chrissy. Anytime, sweetie. Is is that Pemmy with you? Yep, that's him. Oh, dear Lord. The, the two of you together, I should have known. Hang on. Let me let me go get the fire truck. You're lucky the fire hall is at their Christmas party and I was able to hotwire it. And then my father decided that I needed to learn how to f- drive a fire truck. I will be right back. We're saved! Woohoo! Yes! To heck with restocking the cereal. We're restocking the hot chocolate because we're going to need it. I'm cold and I can't feel my hands or my legs. Just call me Chilly Willy. <sighs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas and have a happy, well, New Year? And we'll see you next time. See ya! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.